The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today is New York sex columnist Maureen O'Connor and Allison Davis from The Cut. This is our first sex podcast, but we've been writing and, in my case, editing about sex for maybe a year or two now. So I wanted, first thing, to ask you guys to talk a little bit about what you do, why you're sex experts, and why we're here. So Maureen, maybe you can start. I'm Maureen O'Connor. I'm 30. I'm single. Um, I've been writing a sex column called Sex Lives for New York Magazine for about a year. And of course, David is my editor. And before that, I've been writing also regularly for The Cut. And sex sort of kept coming up as a way to study culture and to look at the way people live their lives. So we turned it into a column. And Allison, you've been also writing a bunch about sex also for The Cut, but in a slightly different way. Do you want to talk a little bit about how different? I'm Allison Davis, also single, 29. I write for The Cut mostly through like a more of a humor, cultural viewpoint, which is how I write about sex as well. So if sex is on a TV show in a weird way, like the blowjob bibs on Empire, or there's a movie that, <laughs> you know, has a lot to say about sex or makes me think about my own sex life or my friend's sex life, I'm writing about it. I think sometimes we just need to laugh about how weird sex is. <laughs> <laughs> and But I feel like you're together, your sex stuff is just taking over the whole cut site. It's like the, all the best stuff on there. I'm uh, 32, and I'm actually married, and I edit Maureen and... Aside from that, I actually don't do much at work that has to do with sex, but I'm here to talk about it anyway. Today we're going to be talking about two topics. The first one is couples and masturbation, which is how you manage and what it means or doesn't mean if you do when you're in a relationship. And also about the We Television Network's completely insane new sex therapy show, Sexbox, in which struggling couples talk about their problems in front of an enormous studio audience, then go into a box to have sex, and then come back out and talk about how it went. Let's do our first topic, which is couples masturbation. Used to be in some more prudish times, we thought that people in happy couples didn't masturbate, or if they did, we thought that meant something pretty bad about their sex lives, probably that it was doomed. But as Maureen wrote in a column a few weeks ago, a new generation of masturbators has been raised a little bit differently. To think of masturbation as a healthy element of a diverse sexual menu as opposed to a shameful, inadequate substitute for sex. So, Maureen, do you think that shame or embarrassment about masturbation is just now like another sexual hang-up we can discard, like all the other sexual hang-ups we've discarded over the last decades? I think to some degree it's been dropped significantly. I remember when we were working on this column, it was a fight for you to convince me that people even had to be told that masturbation was a normal thing. That right. like the entire time I've been alive, the phrase sex positive has been something that people have been saying. And, you know, I was born after Betty Dodson was already teaching her sex for one workshops on public access television. So we're sort of a generation that is very, very used to the idea that masturbation doesn't have to be shameful. On the other hand, there's sort of no way for something that deeply personal not to be a little bit embarrassing. It's something you sort of invented with your eyes closed, completely alone, that you've been doing utterly devoid of everyone else. There's so few things in life that you sort of discover in complete isolation, and that happens to be one of them. And it's a really sort of basic, visceral expression of desire, of what you like. And it's sort of difficult to not be a little bit embarrassed or at least squeamish when it comes to talking about or being open about that. 
But you were saying the other day that you actually, you talk about masturbation super openly with people <laughs> that you, right? Yeah, I do. But So I mean, you're not so squeamish. <laughs> no, not really. I guess I'm a bit of an anomaly on that side, though. You know, you get to college today and at least when I went to college, it was like every single girl arrives and you get your like extra long twin bed sheets and you get a vibrator. Like it's sort of kind of openly discussed, I think. For me, it's sort of like it's totally comfortable talking about in principle. But then like the idea of actually having like my wife walk in on me or having me walk in on her seems like a whole different problem. In your article, you talked about a few friends of yours who had different relations with some of them like people would wake up next to their husband or wife masturbating and then just go right back to sleep. Other people who felt like they needed to do it in the bathroom if they were going to do it at all because they needed the privacy. Right. I guess I'm just more like the second (laughs) part. Allison, what are you like? Well, is there ever a time in a relationship where you're just like both hanging out on a Saturday and you're like, babe, I got to go like masturbate for a second? Like, I think the problem is that you feel like you have to do it when you're alone. But would it be better if you just kind of announced private time? Would that make it? I talked to some couples who actually do that, which actually that was like pretty surprising to me. I mean, the girl that was like, yeah, I wake up and I masturbate. And if my husband wakes up, like maybe he'll go back to bed. Maybe he'll join in. And like all I could think was like, if he wakes up, what vibrator are you using? It's so quiet. Is he a really heavy sleeper? (laughs) But um, there were some people that were like, yeah, it was like pretty openly in the same way that I'd be like, I'm going to go use the bathroom. It particularly came up in couples with really small apartments, which comes up a lot in New York, that there was sort of no way to hide what was going on. But as a lot of people pointed out, there's this feeling that if your partner is available, you ought to be having sex, as though there's sort of some imperative that if we're in this relationship and we're available, our sexual energy ought to be going towards one another instead of sort of inward or separately. Is that basically how you feel? I'm kind of conflicted because you wouldn't expect that about a lot of other aspects of a relationship. Like your emotional health wouldn't be entirely directed or dependent upon one person and, you know, like taking care of yourself sexually is part of you being an autonomous, happy person who can be in a fulfilling relationship. So shouldn't you be able to just take care of it as needed and have it be a separate thing from your partner? But, you know, sex is really important to the health of relationships. So maybe if you are masturbating alone more than you're sleeping with your partner, there's a Mm -hmm. big problem. But there's Um, also the question of jealousy, right? If someone's like enjoying themselves masturbating more than they're enjoying screwing their girlfriend If you enjoy masturbating more than you're just screwing your girlfriend or boyfriend, then, like, you've got just problems in your relationship in general, right? (laughs) This is such a thing, like, that that classic, like, guy that's, like, intimidated by, by, like, a vibrator or something. And, like, like, all I can ever think is, like, these must be the most stark portrait of male insecurity to feel threatened by an inanimate object. Like, if you don't bring more to the table than an inanimate object, then what on earth are you doing in your relationship? But you've both probably encountered people like that, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. My last boyfriend was, like, very jealous of my vibrator, which is weird because he's not the keeper of my orgasm. So, yeah, I just know, he shouldn't them. be so threatened by a battery operated. Was he more boring than a battery operated dildo? I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk trash. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Is it like a di- like one device would be would you think would <laughs> generate more jealousy than another? Like with a battery would be worse than I think ones that were shaped like a phallus were a lot more threatening oh. to him versus oh, that's ones that were like you know, happy little curves or just, like, random squiggles or whatever because he saw those as he would compare it to far himself. more inanimate, but, like, one that I was replacing his penis with a penis-shaped battery-operated machine. So huh. that was a problem huh. for his ego, mostly. I see. Is this, like, something that you then talked about with him, or was it... 
it would actually become kind of like an insult, I guess. He would say like jokingly, but very passive aggressively, if you keep using that vibrator, like how am I supposed to give you an orgasm? And that was like, be better at sex would be my only answer if he ever listens to this. Or use it. Or use it. We can use it together, but that's not masturbation. That's that's a different conversation, yes. One of the people I interviewed said it really well that she said, masturbation is a statement of private space. You're taking up the entire space just with you and your own personal desire. There's sort of no room for someone else to be like reading a book next to you, or for most people at least. That's not how it usually works out. And it's as much a sort of personal, private sex act as it is just sort of a sexual statement of privacy. When people talked about the way they sort of reconcile how openly they discuss masturbation or how they're they're sort of silent, unspoken codes, it actually tracked really closely, I thought, with the way people talk about any kind of shared versus private negotiation in a relationship. Like whether you have your sort of secret bank account. Do you keep your own special monies away from your significant other? Do you share everything? Do you talk about the secret bank account? Do you sort of know that he's got his runaway money, but you don't talk to him about it because you know he just needs that for his own personal self and you just don't even deal with it? And I think there's a lot of stuff like that in a relationship beyond just sex. But it seems really crazy to me to think that sex ought to be wholly different than every other element of a relationship and that that needs to be the one thing that is 100% sublimated into the other person. That, to me, sounded so crazy that I just assumed everybody must be masturbating when I started doing these interviews. And then so I discovered that some people aren't or some people hide it more than others and that sort of thing. It would surprise you as much to hear that someone had broken up about like a separate bank account as it would to hear them getting into a fight and breaking up over masturbating or whatever. Breaking up with somebody over masturbating just sounds crazy to me. (laughs) The statistics when I looked into this was male and female, every orientation, more people masturbate than admit to masturbating from ages 18 up to 60. Most studies show that married men masturbate almost as much as unmarried men do. There just seems to be some sort of basic amount of masturbation that occurs for many, many men. With women, the statistics tend to show that they report masturbating less when they're in relationships. Although women who masturbate more in relationships usually report more sexual happiness with their partner as well as when on their own. So it seems to be that women who do masturbate actually have better sexual relationships with their husbands, according to several studies. So really we should also be masturbating constantly. Although the weirdest thing was that actually there were some studies that suggested men who masturbate a lot in relationships sometimes are actually expressing some kind of sexual frustration. It seemed to suggest that there is the men sort of needed to get off a certain number of times a week. And if it wasn't happening, you know, from sex and they're going to do it themselves, they'll do it more if they're not having any sex. Whereas it seemed that the women masturbating was just correlated with having healthy sex or getting their entire sex drive going. So the name of this article we're talking about is Do Happy Couples Masturbate? You can find it on nymag.com slash the cut. So let's move on to the sort of hard-to-believe new television show, Sex Box. This is a show in a genre which we, the network which broadcasts it, describes as extreme reality. Allison, I think you're the aficionado, so maybe you could describe the show to the rest of us and how it works and what the hell it's about. Yeah, three couples per episode come on the show with various sexual problems like my wife's not orgasming or my wife is using me as like a sperm producer as opposed to a sexual counterpart. They speak to a panel of three relationship experts, a sex therapist, a relationship therapist, and a pastor slash spiritual advisor. They give them some tips. The couple goes into a box. The box is totally soundproof. You can't see anything. It turns red when they're having sex and then the lights dim back to white when they're done having sex and they come out and sit down and talk about 
the sex they just had in a box on national television. So is this like a box that can sense sex, or do they like push the button that's like beginning now? I think it's <laughs> all done. Senses their sensual baby. I thought vibes. we were gonna cuddle. Why'd you hit the no sex button? <laughs> we're still going. No, it just it just assumes they're in there having sex ah. around the time they close the door. Then, ah. yeah. They're typically in there for 17 minutes, right? Yeah, that's about the time, 12 to 17 minutes from the episodes I've watched, which, I don't know, it doesn't seem like enough time, but also like too much time. Like, how do you get in there and drop all the emotional baggage you just shared with each other and then get ready to have sex within 17 minutes, have sex, and then get dressed and leave again? Yeah, it doesn't seem to me like too much time if you were like ready to have sex to begin with, right. but like coming from a huge studio audience where you've just been talking about how terrible your sex life is, it seems like might require like a little more time to loosen up. I, think so, yeah. I mean, I think what we're discovering is if anybody fixes their sex life in the sex box, it probably is not about communication. It's got to be that they're exhibitionists and they can only come in front of a live studio audience. Right. That's sort of, <laughs> a sort of issue separate, I think, from whatever they're getting from their pastor therapy. Yeah. I, do we think that there's any therapeutic value in interrupting a couple's therapy session and like going to screw? The only time I thought it might be worth something was there was a couple who had only been talking online. They were like, they yeah. met for the first time on this television show. And, he and they was, thought it wouldn't be enough pressure to actually just, like, <laughs> right. they had to no, do they, it like, in public. The audience. Yeah. Um, and then he turned out to be a virgin. So she was like, I got you took him into the box, and he came back out a man. And like, that, that is, seemed to really help Did he him. walk the with like, weirdest, some added swagger? He was so sweaty and scared when he came out of that box. <laughs> like, couldn't handle the manhood. Like, but. as if it's not enough when you imagine, like, the old-timey couples when they're supposed to be virgins and they, like, carry each other over the threshold, like, on TV, too? Yeah. You thought TV that was a, a good box. example. Well, he seemed to really, you know, <laughs> he said that was a life-changing moment for me. And, like, as far as first sexual encounters go, they're worse, right? True. I guess having, like, a relationship counselor talk to the person who's about to deflower you, maybe that's helpful? Regarding the 17 minutes, the actual average sexual encounter is probably about seven minutes, according to most recent studies, which means that people are either sitting there, you know, timing their clock to what they think it ought to be and it's too long, or it's taking them some time to get going in that little box there. I'm just impressed they can get going at all. I know. know. To be honest. It also makes me wonder, like, what the audience is doing this whole time. Like, they're, yeah. are they just sitting on their hands or there's, is there, like, some onstage entertainment for them? Uh, well, the panel will sit there and, like, discuss what's happening in the box. Like, oh, you know, we've told Brandon this is how he should give Maureen, sorry, Maureen, her first orgasm. And I really hope she's following my instructions of telling him what she needs. So there's a discussion that you're kind of a How part detailed of. are those That was really disgusting because you inadvertently just used my brother's name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that so, with oh, my brother's I'm name? I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, we'll go with Joe. <laughs> and then what kind of things do they tell Joe to do to Maureen? Like, how detailed do they get? Yeah, like, do we get a play-by-play when they come out? Does... No, it's never that detailed. It's more kind of, like, hinted at. So she'll say, like, oh, the spiritual advisor, for example, with this one woman was, Maureen, like, please tell your husband exactly what you want in bed. And she's like, okay, I will do it. But we never know exactly what she's telling her husband. And when they come out, the last question's like, well, did you orgasm? And people are pretty coy about it, kind of, you know, yes, or like, like waving their arms around. Um, and do you always believe them, or do you? Think I that- never believe them. There's no <laughs> way that you've been married to someone for seven years and never had an orgasm, and you go into a box on television and have your first one. That's it's unless you've just discovered something profound about yourself. That's true. And the yeah. profound thing being, you can only come with a large studio audience in front of you, and you're an exhibitionist. <laughs> 
So you've probably heard us say the word sex box now maybe 50 times in the last couple of minutes, but in case you somehow missed it, we've been talking about the show Sex Box, in which people have sex in a box, which airs on We Wednesdays at midnight? 10. 10? Because <laughs> uh, they're old ladies. They don't watch at midnight. Yeah, midnight, they're asleep. 10 is the equivalent of Midnight for them. And that's it for Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. For Allison Davis and Maureen O'Connor, I'm David Wallace-Wells. Our producer is Henry Malofsky. Thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You'll find our podcast and more at itunes.com slash panoply or at panoply.fm.